You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Super excited for today's episode for a bunch of reasons. Number one, um, I did quite a bit of work looking at player contracts. I tried to stick with Packers contracts as much as possible. When that didn't work, I tried to find other contracts in the NFL that were somewhat similar to give an idea of some of the guys that are one of two things. Either they are free agents or they're a year out but could possibly be getting that mega contract. We all know Kenny Clark, but he's not the only one, so I want to talk about some of the other guys and what kind of contracts we could see. Uh, The one that I didn't do that I'm probably going to have to do on the fly because it's kind of the biggest one. I mean, I, I did Kenny, but it's Brian Balaga. If we do decide to bring back Brian Balaga, what kind of cap implications could we see? Now, there's a billion different ways to do this, so it kind of isn't super about the exact numbers, but it's more or less to kind of give an idea of what it might look like, mostly because a lot of people are freaking out about how are we going to afford all this. And it's not like it's going to be super easy, right? It's going to cost money, especially down the road, because especially the way the Packers like to do things, smaller cap hits early, not super big cap hits in the second year. Even even year two is usually fairly low. And then kaboom, right? But the the smart thing about that is we see kaboom, but at that point it's high, but not super crazy. There's probably going to be contracts that are already higher, right? We see that with Aaron Rodgers, right? All of a sudden, like, wow, this is a big contract. But there's already guys, a bunch of guys making more than him. Beyond that, there is number two with the salary cap raise. It's not as crazy from a percentage standpoint. For the Packers, you know, what what when we signed him and look at 33 million a year compared to what percentage of the contract this year 33 million is going to mean, there's there's a difference there. It's not as painful as we thought. And then number three, the the other biggest thing is you burn up a lot of the guaranteed money early, so that by the time these these contracts balloon up, you can kind of look at it and possibly say not necessarily Aaron Rodgers. Um, but some of these contracts, you look and say, look, you, you, you're probably never going to get that money. You're, you're 33 years old. Odds are, sorry, <laughs> this isn't going to work. So anyways, that's kind of a pattern I noticed there. And that's sort of the problem with some of these contracts I did. Because you look at other teams like the Raiders and you say, okay, let's structure this guy's contract based on this player. And you just look at it and say, this is not a Packers contract. This is not how they would have done it. But again, it's largely just about seeing what the number might look like this year. Future years don't super matter. Although, I did extend out the future um, years. Of course, I put that in Excel. And yes, I am going to be putting that on Patreon if you want to see what these contracts may look like. I also put there whose contract it is compared to. took me two days to do this. Again, day one was mostly just figuring out that I kept doing the math wrong. The other reason I am excited for today's episode is because, as promised, we are doing a giveaway. I've already got the name. 
very, very excited. I feel like I've been talking about this for a while. And so it's nice to finally be able to uh, select a winner. So we'll do that um, probably after the, I don't, I don't know. We'll do it whenever we decide to do it. I don't who cares. Otherwise, a couple little tidbits, things here and there to talk about. But speaking of Patreon, we are going to be doing another giveaway this month. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be. Um, ideally, we're going to crack 100 people, um, 100 patrons. We made huge strides this past month. If we crack 100 patrons, what the giveaway is going to be. So you know what? That's just what it's going to be because we're going to cross 100, and this is what the giveaway is going to be. You, as the winner, will get to design a Green Bay Packers shirt. I will go out, have it produced, made, put it on a shirt, send it to you for free, and then I'll be selling it out of the store. So that is the plan for this month. We're we're burning the ships, man. There is no plan B. We're getting to 100, and that's going to be the giveaway. Otherwise, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. That's where the party happens. Make sure you're following the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I'm not as engaged on there as I'd like to be, but um, I did just discover there's this new little story thing you can do. It's not super pretty, but I just learned about it, and it's actually kind of cool. I did a little snippet about Patrick Queen, so I'll be exploring that. Facebook keeps coming out with new cool stuff, and I want to make sure that I'm utilizing it to the best of my abilities. But make sure you like the page, because that's where, it's basically just my experiment lab. It's where I just try stuff. So go over there and help me to learn about Facebook. Otherwise, if you wouldn't mind leaving a uh, five-star iTunes review, or any other review, depending on where you listen, and make sure you subscribed to the Packernet Podcast. Just double-check it. Just look at what you're listening to. Is the title the Packernet Podcast? If not, go find it, subscribe to it. Thank you very much. With that, why don't we take a little break? You know what? We'll just we'll do the uh, the giveaway right at the other side of the break, all right? That's what we'll do. We'll take a break, and then we'll do the giveaway. Today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real sports fans. They have got thorough, in-depth coverage from local writers on every team, plus national writers you already know, like Jay Glazier, Mike Sando, and Michael Lombardi. The fact is, The Athletic is taking what we've already had and is raising the bar. No ads, no pop-ups, no clickbait. Just great sports writing and great storytelling. With your subscription, you're going to get things like player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, fantasy sports insights, stuff you're not going to find anywhere else. On top of that, you're going to get your own personalized news feed. So if you're ready to get started, head over to theathletic.com overtime to get 40% off a yearly subscription. That's theathletic.com slash overtime. Make sure you're using lowercase letters. And if you're wondering where, oh, where the best place to read your sports news is, how about Arizona? After you got done watching baseball at the Cactus League Spring Training. Great weather, great landscapes, great outdoor adventures, and amazing food like cheese crisps or picky bread. Peaky bread? I, I really don't know what any of this stuff is. It's probably why you and I should go to Arizona figure this stuff out. But when you head out to Arizona this spring, you're going to be seeing baseball at 10 different stadiums, if you choose to go to all of them, 15 different teams, and it's going to be a much more personalized experience. You're going to be able to see the players and get some autographs before the games, much more laid back. And then when you're done, you get to explore Phoenix, and I feel like we've discussed some of the benefits of that. So make sure you plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training. Alrighty, righty daddy, it's giveaway time. This is a very simple process if you're wondering how I did it. 
every name was put into an Excel spreadsheet, and it got put in as many times as dollars that were donated this past month. So if you gave a dollar, your name got put in once. If you gave 10, it got put in 10 times. I'm pretty sure you get the idea. From there, I just randomized the numbers, and bada bing bong bing, we have a winner. And our first ever Patreon giveaway winner, by the way, it doesn't have to be Patreon, but whatever, is Mr. Jeffrey Lee, my man. I know Jeff's been around for a long time. In fact, Patreon actually tells me, says he has been a patron for 17 months. That has to be when I started, because there's, there's quite a few 17-monthers. There's not a single 18-monther. So that must have been like month one. So, Jeff, thank you very, very much for your support. Sorry if you like to go by Jeffrey, just, you know, whatever. Go ahead and poke through the Teespring Packernet Podcast merch store. Let me know what you want, and then, uh, you know, just give me an address and stuff, and I'll get it sent out to you. Just, you know, size and everything. Color specifics. By the way, this is not going to be like the other thing where if you don't respond in two days, I'm giving it to somebody else. I have all your email addresses, so I'm just going to email them. Now, if it's like two weeks and he fell off the planet, fine, we'll move on. But he's going to get the shirt, so. Anyways. Oh, one more thing. Thank you, Doug, for jumping in on Patreon. Our very first February patron. So, first question of the day, let's start with this. Uh, Christian from the Facebook group says, What's the chances of bringing back Wolf or Dorsey or some type uh, for some type of office role? There's two answers. Well, there's two questions, two answers to two questions. Do I think it's going to happen? Would I be opposed to it happening? No and no. I don't think it's going to happen, but I would more be more than happy to bring them back. Now, I noticed a lot of the comments in the group were very, you know, why would we want to go backwards? I, from my perspective, these guys weren't fired. They were hired away. And actually, as I remember, the biggest negative to hiring Brian Gutekunst is the fact that we're probably going to lose Elliot Wolf. And conversely, if we had hired Elliot Wolf, we would have lost Brian Gutekunst. That was always viewed as a negative. Now, may, I, I don't know the inner workings. For all I know, they never liked Wolf. And they're like, oh, gee, I don't know. Let's go through the resumes. I wonder who I'm going to pick. Oh, boy, it's a close one. Not get out. But, I mean, the guy's been there, and he's been right, going through the ranks very rapidly. I don't think the Packers are doing that just because of his last name. I think he's a talented person. Um, Hightower also was with the Green Bay Packers, left with Wolf to join Dorsey. So, first of all, let's start with Dorsey. Dorsey's going to get a GM role somewhere. I'm actually stunned that he hasn't been hired yet. There, There's probably going to be some kind of issues with Dorsey. I mean, I don't understand why he keeps getting fired. My understanding is he's very, very bad with contracts. But obviously, he's very good in the draft, especially if your team needs a young quarterback. What in the world are you doing not hiring John Dorsey? Now, you can say that's not true if you think Baker's a joke. I don't. I think that team just fell apart. I think Baker showed that he can be a good quarterback in year one. And remember, before that, he drafted Pat Mahomes. So I, I, I don't think there's any chance Dorsey comes back underneath Brian Gutekunst. But I don't know that. I think Wolf is going to try his hand to be a GM. I don't know that he gets that opportunity. And then Hightower, he, I don't know what his role was, but he was beneath Wolf. Hightower actually would be the one that I would think would be most likely, just because, for one, Dorsey's definitely only looking for a GM role. Wolf is certainly looking to get a GM role, but I also feel like there might be that dynamic in terms of, like, I deserved that job, they gave my job away to someone else. Hightower, though, I think could possibly be in a position to get a promotion with the Packers, whereas... Dorsey and Wolf would have to take a demotion to come back. And I just don't know that that would be the case. At the very least, Hightower could take probably make a lateral move. Kept saying Hightower. I meant Highsmith. Darn it. <laughs> I'm not editing that. You know what I meant. Alonzo Highsmith. 
but he was vice president of player personnel. So I guess he probably would have to take a demotion also. I mean, the, the titles are all kind of weird. I don't exactly know on the hierarchy of what, you know, what, what is the conversion table between Brown's vice president of player personnel and Green Bay Packers whatever. But the fact of the matter is that job is somebody else's already. So it, I, I could understand the Packers saying, I want them. I mean, this is these, these are guys that Brian Gutekunst has worked with for a long time. The problem is, where do they fit? Are you going to fire somebody that you already have? I mean, maybe if they're really that good and if they're willing to come back to the place that, you know, didn't promote them. Remember, we didn't fire them. We promoted someone else and they said, fine, I'm out of here. There's no future for me here. And then they went and committed political suicide by going to the Browns. But, you know, again, my thinking is I don't think they're coming back. I think the Packers would happily take them back and find a role for them. But I I think it would be a demotion and I don't think either of them would want to do that. That's sort of my thought. Um, also, yesterday, I completely forgot. I said we were going to talk about Zadarius on the PFT thing, and I never brought it up because we were just completely out of time. But I do want to just very quickly kind of talk about a couple things. So I guess, I don't know how to do this exactly. But the, the, the first thing is, as I said yesterday, a lot of people, myself included, have this feeling of, oh no, maybe this, because they got beat so badly. Maybe this team really is very far away, which in a way is kind of a silly silly notion, because if the Packers are far away, basically everybody's far away. But one of the things Zadarius did is just by saying very basic truths kind of brought everybody back to reality obviously it wasn't good enough here's a few of the problems but man we came a long way so here was sort of the opening statement the opening question and answer that kind of just laid the groundwork for here's the progress we made and uh you know not good enough but it was it was it was pretty good the man first off yes sir we're on the field in chicago opening Uh night nbc (laughs) all right like, no, I just think the first time we saw you and Preston on the field together, together yeah. we went, oh, wait, this defense is going to be different this exactly. year. Exactly. And you felt that right away? Yes, sir, most definitely. I think we talked about that, you know, when we first assigned how we was going to come in and change the culture of the team and be leaders. Right. Um, if you don't know about now, man, from this past season, man, we did a great job, man, at doing that. And guys started to become themselves, you know, come to work every day, have fun, man. And that energy, man, led us to the championship game. You know, we didn't pull it off, but we went far in our first year, most yeah. definitely. So, again, what what is the context here? This is year one. The goal coming in is culture change. That was beyond accomplished. So when we look at the goal of let's change the culture, let's change the locker room, and we'll kind of see how it goes from there, to 13 wins in the regular season, a playoff win, and then, yes, a bad loss, whatever. But um, that's pretty good. And, again, Zadarius keeps it in the context of this is year one. We, we, we know we've got some issues. We know we have to work through some stuff. That's pretty common for a year one team. We very far exceeded even our own expectations. So, you know, pretty good to go here. The other comment that was important that I haven't really commented on yet because I've been waiting to play this clip, and, and be something else to keep in mind, prior to this clip, he talked about how they got schemed up real well. In other words, the, the 49ers were on another level sort of executionally, or it's not partially that, but also just the, the scheme is on another level. And this is what I've been talking about for a while in terms of these guys have been practicing this stuff for a long time. Right? They give an example of, you know, you're expecting Kittle to cut you, and then he avoids you. And, you know, you're on the edge, and it's like, okay, well, now what? So then you maybe crash on the edge, and then the fullback comes around, and he takes you out. Like, there's just there's layers of, of complexity here, where it's not just a, a matter of for a guy like Zadarius, who's just a bull, to just go dominate. 
They're playing mind games out there. And again, because they've been practicing and practicing and practicing for years, the same scheme, the same execution, their ability to execute these levels of complexity, it's just on another level. So of course they got outplayed, they got outmatched, they got outcoached. And he kind of talked about how, look, we, we just got to we, we gotta study this, we got to train, we'll get better. And I, and I believe him. This is, again, this is a, a year one team who is just, basically it's, it's like a, a team that just has a lot of talent but not a lot of, I don't know how else to say it, but but practice so that they can execute on a cerebral level. It's just wild, crazy play from a lot of really talented guys, which is great. Now we got to refine it a little bit, and I, I just genuinely believe over the years that that'll happen. But he specifically pointed out something that was a problem, which I wasn't a huge fan of, and I don't think most people were, and that is the idea of coming in a day before the game. Right, we're playing on Sunday. Let's come in on Saturday. That doesn't make sense. But here is here is Adarius talking about that. Your coach Matt Lafleur had some comments after the game that were pretty eye-opening. He had concerns about the the lack of fire yeah, that he yeah. perceived. Did fire. you perceive that as well in this past game? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was telling you, man. We didn't come ready to play, man. I don't know if everybody was sleeping, but I I can tell you, for myself, I wasn't ready to play either. You know, coming in uh, the night before. We wasn't we wasn't ready to play football. I know that much. I know that happened. Why? Yeah, because it's yeah. three West Coast trips this year yeah. where it seemed like you guys kind of fell asleep I mean, at the wheel. I right? mean, it's it's our first year, man. You gotta look at it, man. We got our first year GM, first year head coach, man, first year captain for myself, you know. Right. So we all knew it this man and, and to be able to travel over that way, man, I feel like, you know, if we just leave a little bit early and get adjusted to time, I feel like it'll help a whole lot with everybody who travels and play football. And so this is a compounding effect. In other words, I don't think if they come in on Friday or Thursday, they win this game. But I, my comment about this was, I don't like... My understanding of why they started doing Saturdays is because they went out on a Friday, everybody went out and had a little too much fun, and so the next time they went out, so that the Charger game is when everybody had too much fun. The next time they went out to play the 49ers, they went out on Saturday to protect against guys having too much fun. In other words, we're not going to give you the opportunity. And that didn't pan out. What I didn't like about that is, if I'm Matt LaFleur personally, I'm going to look at this and say, listen, we're going out on Friday because we need to be rested, we need to be acclimated, we need whatever, or earlier, or whatever the game plan usually would be. I think it would be Friday. Everybody here knows we had an issue when we went out to the Chargers on, on Friday. I have an expectation that everybody here understands how serious this is. There was another player, I forget exactly who it was, I think it was you know, one of the Chiefs players or whatever, said something to the effect of, look, we can always come back to Miami, but we can't always come back to the Super Bowl. That's exactly the message. You can come back here anytime you want and have some fun. We're here to work. And really, I, just, I let the team live or die on that. Because the fact of the matter is, if, 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 if after all this, we go out on a Friday and everybody goes out on, on Friday night and just gets goes and parties and does whatever else, and they're just not doing what they need to do to be mentally prepared for an NFC championship game, then then we're just not going to win. But I don't want to go out on Saturday and, and deliberately sabotage my team just because I don't trust them. That, that's a serious problem with, with me as a leader, to say that I don't trust my guys to do the right thing. I can't communicate to them how important this is to do the right thing, so I'm going to protect them from themselves by going out on Saturday. I don't like that at all. I'm going to put it on myself and on the leaders of this team to, to communicate that and if they can't do it, then we got a problem. Either we need to change our environment in the locker room because it is a very laid-back environment, and that has its benefits, but it has its drawbacks. Either we're going to start to get more critical, or we got to start looking at some of these guys got to go. But something's got to change because we can't win this way. We can't be going out to the West Coast 
on Saturdays for a Sunday game. And and Zadarius even said Saturday. He said we got in the night before. This isn't like we we took the red eye and got out there Saturday morning. He said the night before. So you're you're like in the afternoon going to the airport after getting packed up and everything else. You're on this long flight. Then after this long flight, you get on a bus, you go to a hotel, you go to sleep, you wake up, and then you got to go to the stadium and play a football game? That's ridiculous. I think that was a terrible decision that Matt LaFleur made, and he needs to never, ever do that again. And again, this, this, this doesn't close the gap, I don't believe, between the Packers and the 49ers. Well, I shouldn't say that. It closes the gap, in my opinion. When you got guys like Zadarius saying, like, I, I just I wasn't in it, and I can't speak for everybody, but we were tired, and we just didn't... We, you know, I mean, this is a big game. You should be getting amped up. You should be ready to go. And they should have had all Saturday to be rested, to be eating right, to be exercising, to get into that routine, whatever, so that they can get a great night's sleep, not a jet lag night of sleep on a Saturday night to get like, you know, I, how many of these guys do you think maybe got two hours of sleep or less? Because not only do you have this long, horrible flight and you're now in a, a different city and you're in a, a, a hotel bed, but you got an NFC championship game coming up. Whereas if you would have been eating right and exercising the day before to get your body kind of in this mode of, you know, kind of wear it out, drain it, whatever, you're not just sitting on an airplane for three, four hours, however long it takes to fly out there. I bet you half this team didn't sleep. I'd, I'd be shocked if half the sleep, half this team got even six hours of sleep. So that that was a really, really terrible decision. Not not just going out on Saturday, but Saturday night? That's That's insane. So that needs to never, ever happen again. But anyways, the, the final one, and I won't play the clip because it just takes too much time. Basically, they said, look, some people want to blame Mike Pettin, and Zadarius just said, no, that's silly. He said, look, we, we, we got to stick together. We got a thing going here. We just got to keep coaching. We got to keep training. We, we you know, we got we got to build on it. And and really, that's true. Every time you tear down, you got to rebuild. You're starting from ground zero. You can't sit here and keep starting at ground zero. Everybody, when they when they see something, they get dissatisfied. We got to fire everybody. You're never going to get anywhere with that. There's a reason very few first-year head coaches win Super Bowls, basically like two in all of history. I think it's more than that, but most of them were guys that took over great teams and then ran them into the ground. Bottom line is if you're a bad team, again, I think Gruden was the only one that took a, a losing team and won a Super Bowl the next year, and you fire everybody and hire everybody, the first year is, okay, we got a new culture coming in, we got a new scheme, we got to figure all this stuff out, we got to work through it. That was year one. We did that. Now we got to build. Now we now we have to go from the 101 level classes to kind of working our way up a little bit. Let's expand on this. You guys know the foundational stuff. Let's grow to that next level. Right? We're, we're still talking about Rashawn in terms of like we got to get him to exp, you know become an expert in one thing before we move him on to the next thing. So he's he's nowhere near even doing what the Packers want him to do. But they're training him up to be really good at one thing. And then by the time, you know, assuming it happens, by the time he starts to learn more and more and more and grow more and more and more, it's really going to help grow this defense. And that's going to be true for Savage. It's going to be true for Amos and Zadarius and Preston and literally everybody. Because it's only Petten's second year. And for a lot of these guys, it's their first year under Petten. And as a Green Bay Packer, same is true with the offense. Everybody's first year from rookies to Rodgers. And so Lafleur has got a lot to learn. Gutekunst is still learning. You got new staff coming in regularly, but they're just starting to get it a more consistent thing going. Get the schedule going, and that's another, Matt Lafleur didn't even know how to build schedules for how we're going to do what and when and where. He's just figuring out how to be a head coach. Forget play calling. Forget getting these guys to to be expert master level, you know, guys at this scheme. He he doesn't even know how to like organize a practice. He knows from like what other people did, and here's what I think I'm gonna. But he doesn't know. 
So year two, you kind of, now you're, now it's official. And now everybody understands the foundation and everyone kind of understands what we're doing here. We're going to make our tweaks kind of like McCarthy did for years. Like we got our base. Now we're going to make some tweaks. Let's do the tweaks. But for the most part, let's keep it consistent because consistency is going to be important and build on it. So that was my thoughts from Zadarius Smith's interview. And again, it was just, it was just sort of a comforting thing to hear. I'm just kind of be like, nah, just relax. It was year one. Everybody's got a lot to learn and grow and everything else. And uh, we're just going to get better. And of course, things are going to regress. That's going to happen. Not everybody stays exactly the same, except for people that got better. That's not the case. Some people, it just happens. But uh, as a team, especially as people start to understand their roles better, that's when things really start to take off. That is why the 49ers are where they are. It's not because they necessarily have the best players. If you take that team and remove Shanahan and Sala and bring brand new people in with an entirely new scheme, I don't think they're anywhere near as good. Not because the scheme... And same thing is true if you take Sala and Shanahan and put them somewhere else. They don't automatically become good. It's not that these guys are bad football players that just run this simplistic scheme. Everything works together. The scheme is great, but your ability to execute it to perfection is what makes them a Super Bowl caliber team. We have to get to that point. We're never going to get to that point by firing everybody. That's... I feel like I've made that case six times, but I want to make sure we get it thoroughly. So now we can move on. One other interesting thing before we take a break and look at some contracts. I talked, I think, yesterday about Rosen and how that's a possibility that I wouldn't hate and that they do have right now just two quarterbacks, but they're probably going to be drafting one. And apparently Fitzpatrick is coming back. Now, I don't know if this changes the dynamic because it's hard to imagine all three of these people being on the team, but apparently there's some rumblings about some of the places that Tom Brady is likely to end up. And no, the Patriots aren't apparently one of them. One of those teams is the Chargers. As we know, Philip Rivers has walked away. The other, however, is the Miami Dolphins. Now, that seems silly. Number one, it's a division rival, so it's hard to imagine Brady would do that. Number two, they're horrible, so it's hard to imagine Brady, who has consistently taken... I know he's taken a lot of money. It's not true that he... Whatever, but he could have made more money. He could have gotten bigger contracts. But a guy that has sacrificed for his team so that he can get greatness because Super Bowl rings and everything else mean more, which probably is a financial decision anyways. How much more money is he making now that he's a 85-time Super Bowl champion? But anyways, the idea of him with them going to the Dolphins seems ridiculous because they're not winning anything. However, the rumor is, and actually the Raiders are what the other team that kind of came up a lot, but the rumor is Tom Brady's wife, Giselle, likes Miami. There's also some speculation that Tom Brady has interest in being a uh, partial owner of the Miami Dolphins, which, you know, it's kind of like the new status thing you do. Like when you're a big time athlete like Rogers, you go out and buy a sports franchise or at least a part of it. Fitzgerald did it. And then you figure, you know, they're super rich, but not going to be buying out the Patriots or anything. So you got to go kind of a little bit lower. So maybe the Dolphins, you know, nice weather. Wife wants to live out there, get to keep being a football guy, keep a bunch of money rolling in. So I, you know, it's, it's a thing. I don't think it's going to happen. But if it did, you have to assume that just pushes Rosen even further out and also kind of lowers his price a little bit because nobody is going to offer them a lot because they know he's just going to get cut. But anyways, something to keep an eye on. Why don't we take another break and then we'll start looking at some contracts. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so I want to talk about a couple people that we're not super talking about that maybe we should. Everybody knows there's a good chance that Kenny Clark is going to be getting an extension. But what? What? why do we think that? Well, he's a big-time player who is signed through this year, but if you just look back over a lot of the different players and whatnot, usually you don't allow your top-tier players to make it to free agency. You extend them a little early, either sometime between now and when the season starts. If you're a quarterback, maybe it's two years early, but everyone else one year early. Well, Kenny Clark isn't the only one that fits that profile. Another guy that I've talked about quite a bit is David Bakhtiari. He is a free agent after this year. There is no doubt in my mind that David Bakhtiari is a guy the Packers want to keep around for the long run. Somebody else, well, there's there's two that might surprise you, so we'll go with the somewhat less surprising, but, you know, Aaron Jones. I guess all three of them are a little surprising. Now, Aaron Jones did just get a pay bump, some kind of weird rule. I don't really know how that works. But they met certain markers, so they get a pay bump. Because, you know, when you're a rookie, you get, this is your salary. Typically, if you're a first-round rookie or whatever, you're going to get a bunch of money. If you're a second-round guy, you probably still get a bunch of money. Third through seventh or something, you don't make as much. You're making a couple hundred thousand. But if you're really good, apparently the way the contract structure works is, if you're really good, we'll pay you more than what you're getting because you're getting wildly underpaid. I'm sure it's some CBA thing. However, there's still the possibility that we just take this contract, which is now just shot up to two-something million, and say, you know what, why don't we just give him a new contract? Why don't we just extend him now? And so, by the way, all of these I have contracts for. Um, And then two others are, number one, Corey Lindsley, and I know he's on the watch list for guys that might possibly get cut, and that's true. The other option would be maybe LaFleur actually really does like him, really does want him to stay, and if that's the case, you could possibly just extend the guy. You'd have to be okay with his salary and all that. It's not impossible. I'd say it's a little bit more likely that he gets cut than he gets extended. Most likely is probably just he just stays under his current contract. We'll reevaluate it next year. But it is an option, so we'll look at that. And then finally, my personal favorite player ever, Kevin King. Kevin King is in the final year of his contract. I don't exactly know where the Packers are at with him. I know they've always talked very highly of him to an extent that I don't think it's all just smoke. Right? They've They've always been very... I mean, they, from Lafleur to Pettin to even McCarthy and going back, you know, whatever, there's never really been a whole lot of Kevin King needs to step it up. They've always talked about him in, in sort of superstar kind of terms. So that that always kind of confused me. But, you know, I just assume it's one of those things they just see things differently than I do. But he is an option to possibly just get extended. He's a young guy, and uh, unless you're planning on going in a different direction, it's something to consider. So what I did, and I want to start here, we'll see, obviously there's free agents this year to talk about, 
But I want to start there because the contract structuring is different. And so the best way for this to work, and I did it for two of them, I took uh, Devontae Adams' contract where he went from a rookie contract to getting a very large extension. So I used Devontae Adams for Aaron Jones and Kevin King because they're both on these kind of smaller contracts that are going to balloon quite a bit. I looked at Kenny Clark. I used Fletcher Cox. I didn't want to go elsewhere, but um, I used Fletcher Cox because it would be a very similar style of contract. For David Bakhtiari, I used Lael Collin. And for Corey Lindsley, I used Rodney Hudson. So let's start with Kenny Clark because that's the one that everyone is most excited about and the one that also everyone is most uh, concerned about. And again, you don't have to structure it this way. I just want to give you an idea of how these work out and then kind of look back over these last several. So again, I used Fletcher Cox because it's hard to find an exact example, right? A guy who's young, a guy who's going to be getting a long contract, a guy who's already planning to get $7.6 million this year. How would this all work? So what I did is I said, let's call it $18 million a year. I think that's a fair number. I think that's roughly about what it would be. And I gave him a six-year contract. It seems exorbitant. I was planning on five, but I saw Fletcher Cox got six, and I realized how ridiculously young Kenny Clark is. And I realized that basically 2020, he's going to be 25 years old. We would be signing him through 2026, where he would be 31 years old. So 30-31 is, you know, Mike Daniels is around the time we got rid of him, right? So again, it seems like a big deal, but the other cool thing about that, the super long contract is, at least what happened with Fletcher Cox, his 2020 salary went down a little bit. Usually it upticks a little bit, it's, you know, depending on what happens, but we have seen the contract, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, the, the number actually went down. So the way that this plays out, $18 million over six years is $108 million total. I'm not doing guarantees or any of that because that doesn't matter. That's irrelevant for what we're doing right now. His 2018 salary, as of now, if we, he just doesn't get signed, is $7.69 million. The way, if you restructure it the way Fletcher Cox did, that would drop to $6.8 million, saving the Green Bay Packers in 2020 $825,000 on the salary cap. Now, from there, it would go to $10 million, which again, remember, this is an $18 million contract. So at what point does it hit $18? Well, in 2021, it goes to $10. 2022, it goes to $12. Then $13. So we're talking four years before it even gets to $18. That's when you hit the balloon. And this is another reason why I didn't mind this, because this is kind of similar to the Aaron Rodgers structure. It, it goes on low for a long time, but it's also a really long contract. In 2024, though, it shoots up to $24 million. Now, that's where you look at it and say, see, that's crazy. We, you, you can't afford it. We're going to end up having to cut them. I don't think that's true. Aaron Donald last year got, like, how much did he get? He signed a contract that averages $22.5 million a year last year. So do we really think in... in four years, $24 million is going to be too much for a defensive tackle, a talented defensive tackle? I don't think so. And by the way, remember, if things go really downhill at this point, there's probably a lot of leeway to just cut them because the guarantees are going to be mostly gone. After four years, I mean, you know, you're probably looking at a situation where you're saving at least half of this, $12 million. And by 2025, 100%, this, these guarantees are gone. I guarantee you that. So really, it's it's probably going to be through 29. And then, you know, it's up to the Packers to decide to keep playing them. Or or actually, it might even be 229, which is why the, the contract goes up so much. Because then you can really reassess it and say, okay, the guaranteed money is mostly gone with the exception of the signing bonus, which is probably going to be relatively large, at least the way the Packers do it. But before this thing shoots up to $24 million, we have the option to to walk away with somewhat minimal pain. So, in other words, again, we have the opportunity to sign Kenny Clark to a long-term extension in which he gets massively paid. And understand, this signing bonus is going to be huge. So he, he probably isn't going to super hate this because he's going to get a massive infusion of cash and be overnight ridiculously wealthy. 
But from the Packers' salary cap standpoint, cash-wise, the Packers are going to lose a ton of money. I mean, in terms of actual bank account money, they're going to lose a ton on Kenny Clark, same way they did with Aaron Rodgers. But salary cap-wise, we're looking at, again, the first four years, 6, 10, 12, and 13 million. That's nothing. That's nothing at all. If we paid them 13 million this year, it wouldn't even be that bad, which is a possibility, by the way. But again, I'm just, I'm just using one example, and this is a very reasonable example through basically we have them signed through 28 years old through 2023 for no more than 13 million dollars and then at age 29 if he's still playing at a high level 24 and a half million probably isn't that much again best in the nfl last year was 22 in four years i mean this thing the the, the salary cap goes up like five percent a year in terms of like value i mean if you just run that out take 22 million dollars in, in five years, that becomes $28 million, just adding 5% a year. So the new, like, crazy number for a defensive tackle, like if you're the best in of the best, we're looking at about $28 million for a top-end defensive tackle. Kenny would be making 24, and I might even be off by a year because Aaron Donald signed that last year, which means I should add 5% to this year, so whatever. But you get the idea, right? So that's that. Next up, looking at David Bakhtiari. Now, this one's a little iffy for me. Again, I, I tried to pick the best contract I could find in terms of a guy that recently got massively paid. It's a long-term deal, very good offensive tackle. Maybe this is just how Dallas structures stuff, and I probably shouldn't use Dallas because they push out money too much, but it's just an example. Again, I don't think the Packers are going to do something this crazy, but just to give you an idea of what crazy could look like. So currently in 2020, David Bakhtiari is scheduled to make $14.7 million. Or not, not necessarily make, but that's his salary cap hit. I put him down for $19 million a year over five years. Now, 19 seems a little bit high, but if you look at the way that things have been going, I think the, the most recent highest contract was 18 and a half. So I'm just going to say David Bakhtiari gets the new highest. It's also a way to look at sort of, I guess, worst case scenario, because I don't think David Bakhtiari turns down a $19 million a year contract. And again, it's one of those things you hear, you know, we've only got so much space on the salary cap, and now we just paid David Bakhtiari $19 million. We're done. It's over. Game over, right? $19 million is is all of our money. We're out of money. But over five years, that is $95 million per year. If we look at the way Lael Collins' structure is laid out, David Bakhtiari's salary cap would drop to $3.87 million this year. Now, the, the bigger issue with this is rather than kind of being lower for longer, it shoots up in 2021 to $17 million. So that's a $3 million increase compared to what he was going to get this year. And then it jumps up to $20 million and then $23 million. So it's going up $3 million a year, basically. So that, to me, seems a little bit more unsustainable. You know, $17 million next year is already kind of like, Neh. Then you're going up three, you know, again, we're, we're way over the 5% mark that we're increasing this. You know, about a million dollars a year is about 5%. I mean, it's 5% of $20 million, and we're close to $20 million here, and we're going up $3 million a year. So I, I don't super love it, but again, the point is, these are the things that are possible. Now, I don't think the Packers would drop that much, but can we re-sign him and drop a couple million? Of course. Or we could even, you know, keep it around 14 or even throw an extra million. I think it'll go down. Usually the Packers drop year one, but then you extend it out a little bit more reasonably. But again, the, the benefit of this is it's very possible that we are creating salary cap space while re-signing core guy, David Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark. Now, these are the only two examples I have right now of guys in which we save money. I've got one in which we break perfectly even, which is one I didn't want to use because it's like, no, the Packers never do that. But it's another option, and it's another way to view contracts. And then two of them, it went up, but only a little bit. So let's start with the uh, the oddball one, and that's Corey Lindsley. So 
I decided to give Corey Lindsley only a three-year extension because he's kind of already getting up in age. So I don't want to give him a five, six million dollar extension, which is probably part of the reason it was hard to find a Corey Lindsley example. He's not a rookie, so it's not a, a new rookie contract. This would be his. I don't. I think this is his second. Would be a second contract. Which, by the way, try to find guys that the Packers have given second contracts to. This is another reason why Corey Lindsley getting paid is he's beating the odds in a lot of ways. And I understand this is not Ted Thompson, but those second contracts are very rare. So I could not find any Packers examples, maybe maybe a couple, but I couldn't get all the details I needed to make this work. But essentially with this extension, I used Rodney Hudson as the example. Currently, he's scheduled to get $10.5 million this year. What we did is give him an average or a raise of $12 million per year on average for a total of $36 million over three years. Now, the interesting thing about this is what the way that the Raiders scheduled Rodney Hudson and something that is an option is to make... 2020 or make current year the exact same so he would get paid 10.5 million dollars just like he was planning to get so there's no difference there so it's really just an extension it's no different than if they were just a free agent and it's just all new money right we could have just signed you to a two-year 24 million dollar deal next year and it would have zero difference whatsoever so then what would happen with Lindsley is in 2020 he's getting 10 and a half million 2021 he gets 13 million 2022 it actually drops down to 10 which is actually surprisingly not all that uncommon Aaron Rodgers had something similar in his contract several guys have had that I think even maybe Devontae I'm not sure but you see kind of a spike next year and then a drop. This might just have to do with the, the way things are lining up with other players. There might be a bunch of free agents that we're no, we know we're assigning, quarterback, whatever. And so we got to make sure we have a little bit more money. Or just looking at next year, we have a lot of room, right? We have a lot of money and we have basically no free agents. So we're going to kind of load up that year. But essentially it goes from 10.5 to 13.6, down to 10, and then at 11. So there's one spike. And, and again, the cool thing is you handle that spike when you know you can handle it. And then you, you know, so you take the hit then, so then you can drop it. So then he gets, at, at age 31 in 2022, we have him for 10.7, which is the same we have him for this year. And then it goes up to 11, which on a, you know, adjusted basis is probably less than the 10 and a half that he's getting this year. So I, you know, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm, I'm on the fence in terms of whether or not he even stays. And so paying out big money for a center just in general, unless we're talking like, you know, Travis is it Travis Kelsey? I don't know. You know, best center in the NFL, can't be replaced kind of guy. I just, I'm not super a fan of it. As much as I, you know, I understand the emotional aspect of Corey Lindsay's an awesome center. I want to retain him. I also want this to be a very awesome team. And having, you know, would you rather have the $10.5 million or have, you know, Corey Lindsay as your center? So anyways, that's an option. Otherwise, the last two guys, and again, I use the Devontae Adams contract, which is kind of cool because it uses more general Green Bay Packers structures. But this is from Devontae Adams' rookie contract to his now bigger contract. So it fits Kevin King and Aaron Jones because they're younger rookie guys looking to get that first big contract. So with Aaron Jones, what I did, I had his his previous was 785000 Obviously, that's changed, but that happened after the fact, so we'll just pretend it didn't. You, you can look at it as it currently is also. And what I did is I gave him a four-year contract worth $12 million a year. And I know that seems like a lot, and it is a lot, and it's probably too much to pay a running back but it's also probably going to be the going rate for him. These aren't solid numbers, but I'm just saying that's that's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Am I for it? Of course not. I don't want to pay him $12 million a year, but it is what it is. So $12 million over four years, 48 total. And so what it would increase to in 2020 would be $3.7 million, which would have been a raise of almost $3 million, 
But now that it's increased to 2.147, it almost makes even a little bit more sense. Although, it, it, see, it doesn't really work that way because you got to add on that money. So technically, that would make it... So the increase, I think, stays the same at almost $3 million. So that would actually bump that up to about $5 million, I believe, is what we're talking about. So it would probably be roughly $5 million. That would go up to $8 million. And then in 2020, it would be at $8 million. So for the first three years, you're looking at $5 million, eight, or, oh, geez. Yeah, $5 million, $8 million, $8 million. Those aren't the worst numbers in the world. I'm still not super comfortable, but as good as he is, if we believe that he can stay healthy and everything, fine. The bigger issue becomes 2023. It shoots up to 13.6 and 13.6 for the next two years. And this is in his year 29 and 30. Now, again, the guarantees kind of fall off, so there's no guarantee that he would even be around. But in the first year, for example, looking at Devontae Adams in 2020, let's just say because this is the year that his salary cap booms up, the dead cap is about 43% of what the total is. So you're saving over 50% if you decide to move on. Obviously, we're not going to with Devontae, but if you're in a nightmare scenario with Aaron Jones and you apply that to Aaron Jones's contract, essentially of the $13 million, you'd be looking at around $6 million in dead cap, but you'd be saving around $8 million. So that becomes an option. So again, that's another one I'm not a super big fan of just because, you know, positionally, I don't like paying $12 million to a running back. I don't like paying $12 million to a center. However, we got to now look at Kevin King because Kevin King, regardless of, you know, you can say Corey Lindsley and Aaron Jones are better than Kevin King, but positionally, if he is going to be a feature corner on this roster, if he is definitively the guy, locking him up actually kind of makes probably the most sense behind Kenny Clark and David Bakhtiari. It's not easy to find a guy like Kevin King, whether or not he has some issue. Just the size-speed combination, and if he can if he can do what you're asking him to do, he can do some special stuff. So again, similar kind of thing, but I'm giving him four years, $15 million a year, $60 million total. His 2020 contract this year, if we leave it alone, is $2.252 million, so $2.2 million. That would jump up to almost $5 million. It'd be $4.96 million, which is only a $2.7 million increase. So the interesting thing here is, if we look at it, hypothetically, we just re-signed Kenny Clark, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Kevin King. Now, if we did it all the same, which again, I hate the David Bakhtiari structure, we would have saved a lot of money by saving all five of these guys, but only because of David Bakhtiari. But even if we remove that one contract, we added like five-ish, six-ish million with Aaron Jones and Kevin King, and we saved almost a million with Kenny Clark. So it would have been about a five million, it would cost us five million dollars to re-sign Kenny Clark, Aaron Jones, Corey Lindsley, Kevin King, not re-sign, extend. And again, if we if we even treat David Bakhtiari somewhat similarly, okay, add another two million. Can you imagine seven million dollars to extend these five guys? Again, I'm not saying we should. I'm just trying to illustrate how just because we handed out an $18 million, $12 million, $19 million, $12 million, and $15 million contract to five guys doesn't mean we just handed out like $80 million this year. It doesn't mean we need $80 million to sign all these guys. Depends on the structures. It depends on the guarantees. And some of that big-time money most of these guys aren't even going to really see. And ter- well, that's not true. They see it year one, and then the guarantees run out. And so when the when the salary cap really starts to hit, it just never really gets there. But with Kevin King, if we follow the Devontae Adams path, basically it would be $4.9 million this year, which is nothing. It would go up to $10 million, which, I mean, if you look at you got Kyle Fuller's getting, what, like 15 It's not that much. Again, 2022 is only 11 so those first three years are really low for quality guys. And then you get in 2023, and he's only going to be 28 years old. We're looking at $17 million. If he's a top corner, $17 million is not that much. It's just not. If he, if he, if he is... One of the better corners or still just a very solid corner. I don't think you'd get rid of him for 17. 
in 2023 at 28 years old? I don't think so. If he's no good, then yeah, he's after that year, he's gone. So we got three years of, of a lower contract. We got to take somewhat of a big hit in 2023. Maybe we just wait and, and have almost no hit in 2024, a million or two million bucks or whatever. So I don't, I don't actually mind that very much. Just because of the positional value, the, the money does not mean that much. Right, 12 million for a center or a running back, it just makes me cringe. 5 million for a corner, even a guy that might be kind of subpar, which is debatable. That's that's literally 4, 10, and 11 are nothing for a quality starting corner. Anyways, a couple other guys I went through really quickly looking at just straight up free agents. I did look at Blake Martina just to give somewhat of a an idea of what it might look like if they decided to keep him, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's start there. So I did two different things because if you look at spot track, they have his contract value at about 8 million bucks per year. If you listen to his agent, they're saying like 13 million. So let's start with 13 million. If we run out and I use Zadarius Smith because Zadarius Smith was a free agent that got all brand new money. So I wanted to use that structure. It's also a four-year contract, which I thought fit. So we're looking at giving Blake a four-year contract from age 26 through age 29. He's still a really young guy. Basically his salary cap this year, which doesn't exist, but last year was $2.1 million. This year in year one, it would go up to 5.7. Now again, I understand I'm completely opposed to 13 million. I don't think anyone's going to give him 13 million, but this is just what it would look like. In year one, he'd be getting 5.7 million. Probably not a ton of people opposed to that. The problem is in 2021, it shoots up to 13.5 and from there it goes to 16.3 for the next two years. Never, (laughs) never. However, if you look at the $8 million structure, it's a little bit more reasonable. I'm still not a super big fan, but if we keep in context the fact that top-tier linebackers right now are getting average per year contracts of like $17 bucks. Bobby Wagner is getting $18 million a year. C.J. Mosley last year signed $17 million a year. This is just kind of the craziness that's going on. And so when we look at that and say, okay, what if Blake got $3 million this year? If, if, if it was a average salary of eight million dollars a year and understand he may not ever even see the full actualized contract of that we're talking 3.7 this year it goes up to 8.8 next year i know it's a lot i'm still not a big fan of it but it's it's not as crazy as it seems and then it goes to 10 million and 10 million it stays at 10 million the next two years and again no real guarantee that it stays there or that he has to be back for that season if things don't pan out probably his third season of 10 or the first season of 10 million maybe but the last one probably not it doesn't feel as unreasonable, especially when you consider the 2020 cap hit is $3.7 million. Do I still think he's gone? Yes, I do think he's gone. But, you know, again, when you actually look at the contracts, it, it takes some of the sting out of it. When you just hear $13 million a year, you laugh. When you even hear $10 million a year, you think there's no way I would pay that man $10 million. When you look at $3 million and then $8 million, and then we'll reassess it in 2022, it's like, mm, not a super big fan, but maybe, considering we don't have anyone else on the roster. Yes, Blake was one of the lowest graded guys on PFF on the entire defense, but not as low as B.J. Goodson and not as low as Oren Burke. So therein lies the problem. Somebody else that we're going to have to consider, and I do think we want to resign, is Mr. Mason Crosby. Uses Darius all over again because I thought a four-year contract kind of made sense. He's already 36. This would sign him through 39. And the cool thing about this is, although he's getting new money and we are giving him a slight pay bump, I think he was averaging like four. We're going to bump it up to 4.5 a year. So in other words, the main incentive is we're going to sign you for four more years of, of making millions of dollars. But the, the benefit for the Packers is, although it's not saving money because currently he's not counting against the cap because he's a free agent, last year's cap hit was 4.8. The year before that was 5.2. 
This year's cap hit for Mason Crosby would be $1.9 million. From there, it would go to 4.7, which again is kind of what it was before. And then it would go to 5.6, which is what we were paying him two years ago. I have absolutely no problem with this whatsoever. Very, very okay with this amount of money for a guy like Mason Crosby because I don't want to go through the doldrums of years and years of guys missing field goals and double doinks and getting laughed at because we're now drafting kickers and trying to replace a guy that we could just throw $4 million bucks at and call it good. So that would be the way that that would work out, and I'm very in favor of that. And again, I did not do Brian Balaga. But let's just look at it based on what we've already talked about. Brian Balaga last year was getting paid $8.35 million. He may get a contract as high as you know $17 million a year or something if they decide to bring him back. I don't know if he would. I don't know if that would be disqualifying for him. That's just, I mean, that's the highest paid tackle right now is a right tackle. So the whole right-left thing doesn't even really affect this at all. He went up against as many, if not more, of the top pass rushers in the NFL because that, again, it just doesn't matter. And yes, Older tackles are getting massive contracts as well. The fact of the matter is, he is one of the better tackles in the league. He knows it. His agent, Tom Condon, knows it. The Packers know it. And if they want to keep him, there's a good chance he's going to have to to pay up. And I don't think, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say he has no loyalty, but I'm sure Brian Balaga would happily take $17, 18000000 somewhere else if the Packers are not offering that. Now, that might be silly. You know, Spot Track has put him at $10 million. If that's the case, this is not even really a discussion for me. Ten, a $10 million a year contract is going to mean in this year we're going to pay him two, three, four million bucks. That is the biggest no-brainer thing in the entire universe. He is worth $18 million based on how clean he's keeping, guys. If he'll take $10 million, we need to re-sign him instantly. But again, I, I didn't run out the actual numbers because I couldn't find a comp, but there's very little doubt in my mind that his, his cap hit would not really go up, if at all, over the $8 million we're already paying them. So the, the bottom line with this is, in almost no scenario is is a cap hit, whether it's a massive jump from a rookie into a new you know, 12-ish, 13, 14, 15, like uh, Kevin King went up to $15 million from $2 million. Even so, it was only an increase of like $2.5 bucks in the first year. So when no matter how big the contract is or how big the player is or any of this kind of stuff, you you're not going to expect in year one a a massive contract jump. Right? Kenny Clark is not going to jump from 7.7 million to 18 million in year one. That's just not how the structure is going to be worked out. So don't worry about that as much. And in fact, there is a possibility that by extending some of these guys, especially guys like Kenny or Bakhtiari that might have longer term contracts, we could actually end up saving some money and use that extra freed up money to go into free agency. So I'm very excited to see what they do and how they structure it. Again, this is not necessarily even a prediction, more or less just kind of trying to look at it and see, again, nobody's really making more than $3 million more than they were originally scheduled to. So they're going to be fine. Salary cap isn't that big of an issue. They're, they're doing a good enough job. They understand how to manage it. They'll make the right decisions, not overpay. They're not going to do the David Bakhtiari thing because they're not the Dallas Cowboys pushing money out way too hard. So anyways, very excited about it. Don't be worried about it. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'm going to get going. Got stuffs to do. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.